Welcome to week 32, Bhagavad Gita class. We're in chapter 8, Attaining the Supreme, text 10 through 20. And last week, we talked about karma. Our karma means you're taking different bodies. And you're going up and you're going down. Performing pious activity and sacrifice, you go up. Performing the karma and you're going down. But basically, karma means you're going through many different varieties of bodies in the material world. And Krishna is describing because he's answering these questions posed by Arjuna. So he's speaking exactly how to attain the Supreme. So he said, Whoever thinks of me at the time of death retains my nature of this there is no death. So he says, Whatever state of being, whatever bhava, deep emotion, deep attachment at the time of death, that state he will attain without fail. And then uh, Krishna says something that Prabhupada says is most important for all men to understand. That is, uh, you should always think of me in the form of Krishna, but at the same time carry out your prescribed duty of finding. If your activity is dedicated to me and your mind and intelligence fixed on me, you will certainly attain me without doubt. So he says this is most important for all common men because it shows that we, we engage in Krishna consciousness while doing our duties as opposed to giving up our duties and just going off into the forest and meditating. So that means we do seva for Krishna while remembering Krishna based on our proclivities, our talents and abilities. We perform devotional service while thinking of Krishna. And Krishna promises we will attain him. So we would like to move into our next section. <laughs> okay. Okay. I can hear it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I chose text 14. It goes like this. For one who always remembers me without deviation, I am easy to obtain, O son of Prita, because of his constant engagement in devotional service. Um... This just reminds me of, you know, that relationship aspect is just so beautiful. It, it all starts with chanting and building that. It, I, I see the chanting as like, almost like a channel where you kind of open your heart and you're like, Krishna, I'm ready to know you, almost. You know, and, and Krishna, it's, it's almost like you open a window and he can reciprocate with you and it's it becomes the space where you get to know him. And in that space, you ask for, for you know, what can I do for you? Because when you have a relationship with someone, like we always say, we want to do for them because it's, it feels great to do some something for someone you love. So when it gets to that, then it's really devotional service. So I can see how you can obtain him through devotional service because I see it that way. Um, and that's... I got from that. An application would me would be just keep doing devotional service. <laughs> that's interesting that you're mentioning creating space. Yeah. So a large part of that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's actually what being given to this kind of society is space mm-hmm. and an environment for us to perform devotional service. Exactly. And a large part of our preaching is also creating that environment where people can come in and perform devotional service. So I liked what you said about creating that space and that time and, and how that's actually a great gift from 
from Srila Prabhupada, from all the devotees, um, who created a space for us to think about and practice these most essential um, practices for our highest benefit. So, who else? Yeah. <coughs> I picked the same one. No. <laughs> so anyway, um, so that's my discovery. Uh, same verse, everything. Um, from the port of that report, it says, uh, now, excuse me, I'm going to try to speak some Sanskrit here, so I'll probably butcher that a little bit, so you can help me with that. Um, as stated in the Vedas uh, uh, Katha Upanishad, 1-2-23, Yam Avaisha Vernute Tene Labhyas Tasyasa Atma Vernute Tunam Swam. One who is fully surrendered and engaged in the devotional service of the Supreme Lord can understand the Supreme Lord as he is. And as stated in the Bhagavad Gita 10.10, Dadami, Buddhi, Yogam, Tam, the Lord gives such a devotee sufficient intelligence so that he ultimately, uh, ultimately the devotee can attain him in his spiritual kingdom. So that's the understanding of that verse. Uh, in uh, the purport also, um, in the application, a pure devotee uh, always engages in devotional service to Krishna in one of his various personal features. Krishna has various plenary expansions and incarnations such as Rama and Narishima, and a devotee can choose to fix his mind in loving service to any of those transcendental forms of the Supreme Lord. Such a devotee meets with none of the problems that plague the practitioners of other yogas. Bhakti yoga is very simple and pure and easy to perform. One can begin simply by chanting Hare Krishna. The Lord is merciful to all, but as we have already explained, he is equally inclined toward those who always serve him without deviation. Anatta, he was um, quoting this, I think it was Srila Prabhupada, um, but I can't say for sure, but he was saying bhakti yoga is so simple that you might miss it. Because, uh, you know, the rituals and the Vedas are, you know, you have to pronounce things just in the right way. You have to have just the right environment, amount of time, and qualifications. <clears throat> and people are doing all kinds of very complicated um, endeavors. They're creating all these systems and technologies and trying to go to other planets and things. But bhakti is, is actually very simple. It just means to try to do something with love for Krishna, try to be humble, and try to uh, serve is natural for us, but not natural in this world. <laughs> Ultimately, it's natural for us. Yeah. Okay, next. Do you want to share? Yeah. Okay. Um, funny enough, it was the same chapter, um, <laughs> the end of the purport by uh, Prabhupada, when I found it really interesting and like something that I think a lot of people in different parts of their path and the spiritual journey. Um, where we get in our mindset that we need, like, maybe I could say, oh, I'm at work and I hate it here. I want to be at the temple, a holy place. And it explains here how just constantly having your mind on Krishna, you kind of create that environment itself, like you were saying, kind of creating that space. Mm -hmm. So we, I think people tend to have a separation, said, so, oh, this activity, this thing, you know, going to sleep or brush my teeth, that's not holy or talking to this person is not holy, but then these people or this area, this is super sacred and like a different thing. But it's understanding that so long as we carry Krishna with us, 
then that that essence will constantly follow us and how he explains the uh, the five types of engaged devotional service here so he says in devotional service and neutrality um, as a servant as a friend as a parent and as a conjugal lover of the supreme lord so i like that he gave the the examples how we can look like okay now i'm going to be a friend to this person and in my time of you know chanting the maha mantra doing devotional service i'm being a lover of krishna or time comes you know being a parent you can kind of share that love through those different methods so i found it really interesting Um, definitely it's just, like, I guess, like, the main part of this chapter is constant, constant thought of the Supreme Lord. So rather than saying, you know, being, I'm going to, um, go to work and my job is to, uh, do my job and be respectful and then I'm going to go do devotional service or then I'm going to have my, my, uh, time. I can more implement to say, hey, I can... While I'm interacting with friends or coworkers, I can still have Krishna in my mind, and it helps me. It makes me feel so much better, and I can, like I said, create that environment rather than um, what becomes a habit of me being like, "I'll chant my runs later. I'm busy right now. I gotta do something else that's separate in a sense." So I can definitely work more on um, just having that mindset, having my. I would say my my presence, my consciousness on Krishna, and then my body may be doing work, but I'm constantly thinking of him. So. Yeah. yeah, if we keep that um, in the forefront of our mind that this Krishna consciousness means to be thinking about Krishna, be absorbed in Krishna, and to develop our attraction and love for Krishna, then we can make a lot of progress. Um, there's something called Smarta Brahmanas. And Smarta Brahmanas, they're very good at following all the rules and regulations in the Vedas. But they oftentimes, well, they do. That's kind of the definition of Smarta Brahmanas. They miss the point. <laughs> they miss the main point. Uh, so there's this nice um, description. It's in the Japa book, if you remember, um, where this Brahmana is meditating, and a lady runs, runs past him and knocks into him. And so uh, he's kind of agitated by that. He's kind of thinking, why does she knock into me? And when she comes back, it's a different mood. He's still there. And she's real nice and says, hey, how are you doing? And he says, how come you're, you're so thoughtful now? And, and when you were coming the other way, you just knocked into me. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to do that. Um, I was actually just completely thinking about, I was going to see my, my lover. And I was just completely thinking about them. And I wasn't thinking about anything else. So the, um, the meaning of the story is that she was absorbed in her lover, and the Brahman was supposed to be absorbed in God. Brahman means one who is absorbed in spirit. But instead of that, he was agitated and thinking about um, why this lady had knocked into him. But she was very focused, and she didn't even notice, because she was thinking about her beloved. So similarly, um, as devotees, devotees are the highest... They're beyond brahmanas. They're beyond the four different varnas uh, because devotees always keep that goal of being fixed on Krishna and developing that attraction and love for Krishna in the forefront of their mind. 
So thank you so much. Okay, who would like to share? Okay. It's about the discovery. Um, I kind of discovered in the eight dot fourteen verse uh, about uh, the, the, it's describing about devotional service. Uh, pure bhakti is described in this verse by the words ananya chetaha, without deviation in mind. Understanding this verse particularly describes about pure bhakti where you will reach to the stage of complete detachment and renunciation. In the previous verses, it was described four kinds of devotees. The distressed, the inquisitive, those who seek material gain, and the speculative philosophers. Different processes of liberation have also been described. Karma yoga, jnana yoga, and hatha yoga. The principles of these yoga systems have some bhakti added. But this verse particularly mentions pure bhakti yoga without any mixture of jnana, karma or hatha. And the application part. After learning about various processes of attaining Supreme Lord, which is always remembering Krishna and never forget Krishna, as indicated by the word ananya chetaha in pure bhakti yoga, the devotee desires nothing but Krishna. I am grateful to all the devotees who have brought me to this stage of Sakama Karma Yoga. As uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita states, the pure devotee is called Nishkama. My goal is to attain Nishkama, which means he has no desire for self-interest. Perfect peace belongs to him alone, not to them who strive for personal gain. that comes naturally through the practice of Krishna consciousness because it's a purifying practice so we all start out sarva kama we all have unlimited desires in this world and that's the nature of the soul is to have desire um, so the only way to change that is to transfer the desires rather than try to eliminate desire so we start off sarva kama because we come into this world with so many ideas about how to be like God. And through the purifi purifying process of Krishna consciousness, we become Akama. And um, there's a nice verse in Bhagavatam where it says, Akama sarva kamo va moksha kamo dardi tri reina bhakti yogena yajeta purushamara. So whether one has no desires, one has unlimited desires or desires liberation, he should fully engage in devotional service. So that's, in other words, that's the, that's the medicine, that's the solution to whatever situation we're coming from. So it's not that the people that have akama, no desires, they don't engage in, material, in devotional service. Or those who desire liberation, uh, they also can engage in devotional service. Because through that devotional service, just like there's so many uh, in instances where uh, impersonalists have become devotees of Krishna through contact with devotees and through the devotional service, they've actually developed this love for Krishna. So, it's, it's, a, it's a panacea. It's a solution for everything. So. Yeah. Um, I don't have any specific verse, but there were just certain parts of the different purports from 10 through 19 that really 
just stood out for me. But one of the ones that I highlighted here was captivated by the spell of the material world. And um, I was thinking about a couple things when I when I um, when I highlighted this, and I was thinking about um, someone who endeavors for material success may in the beginning have so many desires that they want to accomplish in life. And they're so busy trying to accomplish these things. And after much work, after much struggle, they might attain this level of success. But I can't help but notice time and time again that when these particular individuals that are very successful reach or attain this level of success... When they think back, they always ask themselves, remember those good old days when we didn't have anything and life was so much easier and things were so much simpler? I wish we can go back to that. Um, when, I, when I study different devotees that come to this temple, one thing that stands out to me is always their simplicity. Um, a lot of times what we might consider to be elementary or even grade school or even kindergarten we might tend to want to overlook it as if it's preliminary and there's something more. But what I see in, 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 in devotees that come here that are much more advanced than I am is they live in this simplicity. And, and it's like bhakti yoga, like you said, is so simple. But a lot of times because it's so simple, we think that there has to be something more. And it is this very process that is the end goal. <laughs> it is this very process in which we're striving is to engage in this devotional service. And I think that if we can really just understand that, then, um, then we'll never be in that position where we feel like, oh, if I can just go back to those days where things were simpler. I think the devotee understands it. Is this making sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of everywhere. But... It's like understanding that, gosh, it's, it's so hard to explain. It makes sense in my head. But um, like bhakti yoga is, to me, it's like, it's, it's everything. It's the end goal. And it's like, I'm not trying to graduate into something greater. I want to relish this process. I'm not thinking, okay, I'm, I'm engaging what's next. I just... I want to, because I understand that this is literally, if we can live in this place, if we can understand, like you gave that example of this person who is, you know, racing to, to see their lover. This person obviously gets it. And then the other person is missing the point, like you said. And I think a lot of times that can happen because, of, because we can become captivated by so many things, by so many desires. And these desires might occupy the space of just this very simple, pure, devotion and that's to me I always seen that that's what seemed to impress Krishna the most that's what seems to impress Prabhupada that's what seemed to, to move his heart is whenever someone would do something simple with just love with bhakti it was like that was everything but it's so simple that sometimes we miss it and you know that's kind of what I wanted to say so my thing is I want to I want to I want to remain in that space where I can understand that that's what it's all about. It's about that bhakti. It's about that love with which you do everything. And let us always strive for that and not think that there's something greater because we can be captivated by 
the spell of this material world. And that can even look like things that we might not think are, you know, material world. We might be so preoccupied with something that we forget about the simplicity of bhakti, but yet the the complexity of, of bhakti as well, if that makes any sense. It's like it's both. It's simple and it's complex and it's everything and it's everything that we desire. So anyway, I don't know. I'm just rambling on, but hopefully that makes sense. Very nice. Yeah, um, yeah so my application is to, to live in that place, to try to live there, to always remind myself to stay there in that place. One story of Vidya Ananda Maharaj. He tells, uh, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but he was doing some fake book, big distribu- fake book distribution for Srila Prabhupada or something. And uh, he came and he was like, I think, sannyasi, GBC, right? And he thought that Prabhupada was going to give him recognition. Yeah. And then Prabhupada kind of ignored him <laughs> and then recognized this, uh, like, Mataji was like cleaning the room very nicely. <laughs> he, re- he recounts that because that was a lesson to him about you know it has to be no matter what we do it's always the empowerment comes from Krishna so if it's not done with bhakti it's not done to please Guru and Krishna then it's not it's like Chaito Dakshanamakana yeah you guys have to be servant of the servant of the servant of the yeah yeah it has to be done of love to please them some so-called accomplishment isn't really accepted or valued. Talking about Rupa, he sometimes he uh, says that pride, false pride, is kind of like a bad smell. <laughs> so when there's false pride, it's it's not very attractive because everything comes from Krishna. It's the idea really personifies the old uh, <coughs> the old saying of it's not the it's not the goal, it's the journey, you know, type of thing. And, and I think that that's something we do forget, you know, that, that, that uh, the simple act of just doing and serving, you know, it's not what I'm going to get out of it or it's not what somebody else is going to get out of it, it's just doing that simple act of serving and, and living that, you know, simple living, high, high thinking, right, you know. So, um, yeah, because we tend to do that, I mean, it's a goal or something we have to set. We, have to, we want to accomplish, we want to do in the material world. And we're raised that way from the time we're kids. Yeah. So it's constantly like this, you know. So, um, you know, to, to rewire the brain to just say, you know, hey, wait a minute, you know, this is not, this is not what this is, you know. And, um, and it's hard because you slip into it. I found myself sometimes slipping into that, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to accomplish something now. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to advance in some way or I'm going to move forward. No, it's not about that. It's about, just keeping, keeping on, keeping on, you know, and that's that's the goal in itself. You know? Yeah, it's more than remaining a humble servant. Yeah, is, is the goal. Because yeah. yeah, the tendency is to slip into some achievement mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, they say in Krishna consciousness, the journey is also the goal. Yeah. But it's yeah. how how it's how it's done, like you're saying, like you're both saying how how is it done, and actually, Krishna consciousness is. So I also like the points that Govindamara was making about um, how the materialists are nostalgic and they're thinking about, oh, how you know, my family was in the past. We used to live here, and this is the backyard I used to play in, and things like that. But as the spiritualist, in my experience, 
Krishna consciousness is so fresh, there's no room for that. Because every day is a fresh experience. And, and it's easier to live in that moment of really the absolute truth, because Krishna consciousness is the journey and it's the goal. So you're living in, as long as we're Krishna consciousness, we're in the spiritual world. But yeah. when we say journey is the goal, so what is the goal? Is the love of God here the goal? That's yeah. the journey and the goal. So performing bhakti is the journey, but also performing bhakti is the goal. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But we can words, deepen that. Right, because we're not we're not performing bhakti <coughs> thinking, well I'm performing bhakti I'm I, I'm doing this because I want to get this. Mm. You see, that's kind of like that's like a material endeavor. You know? Does that make sense? It's like I, I'm like I'm doing this and I'm not thinking about what can potentially come out of this, but somehow, some way, the byproduct is pure love of God. The devotee's just so like he's he's so just fixated on wanting to serve Krishna. But he's not thinking, I want to make advancement. But advancement comes, but he's not thinking about it. It just becomes a byproduct of, of his of his devotional service, I feel. If that makes sense. Yeah. And the gopis, they gave everything to Krishna. Yeah. And then um, Krishna said to them, he says, what can I do to repay you? You've given your very lives. You've given everything to me, literally. Like every thought, every word, every action. What can I repay you with? So your repayment is that you're satisfied in your loving service. Your repayment is your service, basically. So um, that's a nice pastime of proof about this topic that you know the goal is the process. The gopis are the highest devotees of Krishna, and Krishna is saying, "This is this is what you get is you get service. So <laughs> you get loving service." Okay, so who are we missing? Okay, Chaitanya Lila, of course. I accidentally did the wrong, the wrong verse, but I think it ties in really well. I kind of went to chapter seven, and um, it's chapter eight. <laughs> 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 All right, so um, I think it. I think it's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna choose um, chapter eight, verse fourteen, and um, I think. And I, and I went back to seven. 714, I think Prabhupada really breaks this down really. It's this verse, it's divine, the divine energy of mind consisting of three modes of material nature is difficult, difficult to overcome, but those who have surrendered on to me can be, can easily cross beyond it. And then Prabhupada in the purport, he says, okay, so being thus covered by material energy, one cannot possibly overcome its influence. And this kind of like, um, this kind of goes in um, depth to, to, to why we're here in the first place and the complexities of the material modes and their influence upon us. So the living entity belongs to the eternal supreme nature of the Lord, but due to the contamination by inferior nature, matter, their illusion is also eternal. The conditioned soul is therefore called nitya badha, or eternally conditioned. No one can trace out the history of his becoming conditioned at a certain date in material history. 
Consequently, his release from the clutches of material nature is very difficult. And even though the material nature is an inferior energy, because material nature is ultimately conducted by the supreme will, which a living entity cannot overcome, inferior material energy is defined herein as a divine nature due to his divine connection and movement by the divine will. Being conducted by divine will, material nature, although inferior, acts so wonderfully in the in construction and destruction of the cosmic manifestation. <coughs> and then um, it goes, it says some, uh, some uh, a verse, it says in some Sanskrit, although Maya is false of, Maya illusion is false or temporary, the background of Maya is all the supreme magi magician and the personality of God who is Maheshvara, the supreme controller. So in the background of all of this, Krishna is controlling everything. And so, and it goes on to say, I, I like this, the way that Prabhupada said this. He said, another meaning of guna is rope. And then the meaning of guna, he described in the verse previous to that, he says, guna means modes. And Krishna is near guna, which is the modes are emanating from him, yet he's not affected or subjected to the modes. And so in this, it's really, it's really cool how he broke this down where he says, another meaning of guna is rope. And it, and it is to be understood that the conditioned soul is tightly tied by the ropes of illusion. A man by, bound by the hands and feet cannot free himself. He must be helped by a person who is unbound. So Krishna is that person. Krishna is unbound. And then it goes on to saying, because the bound cannot help the bound, the rescuer must be liberated. Therefore, only Lord Krishna or his bona fide representative, the spiritual master, can release the conditioned soul. So only by their mercy and their reciprocation can one be free from illusion. And so, and so another, I'm sorry, I'm taking too long, another part where this kind of ties in, I think, Okay, without such superior help, one cannot be free from the bondage of Devotional service or Krishna consciousness can help one gain such release. Okay, so only through the process of devotional service and through that yoga, through that sacrifice, through that surrender, can one escape you know, this material entanglement that we've been suffering for millions and millions of lifetimes. You know? So, ah. And so... I kind of tied in to this first. I was just like, um, I was like, what is it? Because uh, it kind of said, I'm kind of, it kind of repeats what they're saying, but I was like, what it, What does devotional service uh, really mean? And which verse does it tie into? Um, just the one, 814, oh, that everybody, but I, I just kind of like, I wrote some things down. Um, um, I was like, what does, what does devotional service really mean? What does it mean to, to devote yourself to Krishna and render service to him. It means to love Krishna, to please Krishna, and to direct your your propensity to love, which is the most it's one of the one of our natural characteristics is to love, and you're directing it towards Krishna through your actions and you're demonstrating your love. And and it's done selflessly and absent from any personal gain or profit or any adoration or anything uh, with, uh, that's 
that's our personal desire. It's freed from all of that. And it's, you know, it's done just purely to love Krishna and to, to make him happy rather than to make ourselves happy, which is, which is um, our constitutional position. You know, is to love Krishna and to be servants, to serve Krishna. So, and so through this process, though, it, um, it purifies our senses and it purifies our desires. And uh, it revives the lost consciousness of, his, of our return, eternal relationship with the Supreme Truth. And when I think of Supreme Truth, I think of absolute reality. So due to our conditioning, we're seeing something that's complete. Like when we perceive something, we're perceiving, we're kind of projecting ourselves onto our reality. So we're kind of seeing things with it, like kind of in a way where it's like, like I'm false due to our, you know, our conditioning. So we're identifying with matter or false identifications, like we're thinking we're the body or something like that. So it's projecting onto our reality. But when we surrender onto Krishna, we're seeing something just as it is in its true essence, you know. So when we look at like, um, we just look at this like uh, this trunk right here, this harmonium trunk. We're thinking, you know, like it's a harmonium trunk, you know, but ultimately it's Krishna's energy. You know what I mean? Everything around us is Krishna's energy. So how do we come to a space where we're seeing everything as Krishna? And we're seeing we're and it's through through practice through practice where we can come to that that platform um, of pure love and uh, which can can uh, transcend us above the modes of material nature and you know ultimately we, we can see through the lens of Krishna how does Krishna see it because if he's unbound how do we see how do we see the world how do we become unbound you know what I mean so um, um, so um, yeah so um, um, yeah so this is a process of Krishna consciousness, and I and I think my application is to when I, I there's so much more to say. I, I have so much going through my head right now. There's so much depth to it, but um, um, like um, sorry, um, yeah. So this is this is how we can purify our existence, and uh, this is the ultimate aim of our of this of this human form of life is to realize ourselves, to realize God understand why we're here and to ultimately free ourselves from you know um, the clutches of material existence so uh, yeah and so I, I you could see the example like um, when you when they, they describe all of these like great souls like these people are fully realized you know like it's like you can see the result manifested in the way that they uh, there, there's certain qualities or char characteristics. You can see it. You can see it. And um, like um, I always think of a Dravidic Prabhu when he came, and um, like I can, like he spent all almost like I don't know how many years in Krishna consciousness. Probably almost his, like since he was younger. And you see him now, and it's like he's like you can see it. And he's like just to be in his presence is like it was like really amazing because you. Can, and the way that he spoke, the way that he, 
um, the way that he acted, the way that he responded to certain things, or it was just like so, like how Sarah was saying, like swan-like, and that's like he's in, and when you see that, you could see someone that's, you know, like purely as, you know, he's like dived really deep in the scriptures, like he's, he's living, he's living, he's living bhakti, he's living it. You know what I mean? He has that relationship with Krishna, and it's so it's so present within him. It's so raw. You know what I mean? Like I, you could just see it right when you're, you know. What I, and and it was saying also, it was saying through 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 being in the association with a pure devotion, uh, a pure devotee, you can become pure yourself because you're seeing that you're around him and it has an influence on you. So um, um, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, so I just, I want to, you know, like, I, you could see it, and it kind of, like, inspires you, inspires you, like, when you see it in people, you can see it manifested in somebody, and, like, you just want, you just, it, it want it pushes you for, it pushes you further, because it, it, you have this conviction, like, oh, that, that could, you kind of see yourself, like, you know, I could, at one point, that could, that can be me, you know what I mean, that could, you know, that can possibly Yes, it's very unique. Everybody's everybody has a very unique and relationship with Krishna. It's very it's on an individual basis, but yet, you know, you can see you can see that you can see that relationship and how much fulfillment has brought in their life, and you could you could see you know if you keep on endeavoring with sincerity and you know what I mean, just keep on loving Krishna and giving yourself like that could. You can possibly, you know, Krishna can reciprocate with you in that way, and you see it in people's, see it in people's lives. So I, I, um, I get motivated by being in contact with those individuals because, like, I like even just around you guys, like um, around my God brothers and sisters, like I see it, and like it makes me, it makes it drives me even further to do what I'm doing and to, you know, to to expand on Prabhupada's mission just to see him his him as an example. Uh, is that, yeah. Of love. So that's all I, I, I was kinda I was kinda all over the place because I didn't I want I had I kinda had a structure to the other one but yet I had to tie it into this one so I'm sorry if like, you know, it's all over the place. I just I don't know if that even makes sense at all but you know, but, um, okay. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah, so. One thing that she said that I really like is like when, so you, many. when you're around, <laughs> like when you're around these particular devotees that she mentioned, yeah. like you can see that they're actually, that they understand that the goal is the process, right? You feel that, right? Like every second of every moment in their service, they're relishing. <laughs> It's not like they're just trying to move on to the next thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like everything is so deep. It's so it's done with so much love. It's done with so much bhakti. I don't know about you, but what really inspires me when I see these people is not how many how many Sanskrit phrases they can quote. That's not really what impresses me. What impresses me is the love with which they do things. And the love is manifested in so many different ways, like you explained. But it's like this, it's this childlike thing that I can't really describe. Yeah. That really, really, just, just absolutely, that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. It's that, that I couldn't get anywhere else. That I see people and that's what, 
And that's really what really inspires me. So I think that you were touching on that. And I thought that was, uh, that ties into what I was saying, kind of, you know, a childlike simplicity of understanding that. So anyway, really that's good. the good indication of that's your success will be there for you because your role models are devotees mm-hmm. and people have unlimited different role models. And if your role models become devotees of the Lord, then that assures your success. Because then you'll be following them. Yeah. Following the path of liberation is by following the great souls. So if we want to be like devotees like Dravida Prabhu and other great souls, we will. Because we reflect that association. We just have to associate with them more. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Vaidurya uh, gym. Reflecting, reflecting light in different ways. Because of the spiritual knowledge you have in previous life, so you've been brought into this process at very young age, and you've got the spiritual knowledge that's from your experience. Very, very, very good. Yes. Okay. So, let's see. <coughs> so, we have Mari Mohini back. Yay. She wasn't feeling good last week. She's back with us this week. Grateful. Let's see her discovery. Look at that. Text 14. Oh. Chapter 8, text 14. Yeah. Gonna, this, is, this is the bhakti verse. In this section, this is the this is the main the pure bhakti verse. So the pure devotee only wants to please the Supreme Lord. And so the Lord says that for anyone who is unflinchingly devoted to him, he is easy to attain. That's actually part of the purport. <clears throat> Understanding, the pure devotee only desires Krishna. He doesn't desire liberation, nor does he have any desire for self-interest. He realizes his constitutional position, which is to serve Krishna. And so his only aim is to please the Lord. And the Lord confirms that for such a devotee, he is easy to obtain. Jai. Application, I shall endeavor only want to please Krishna more and more, to think of the Lord more and more, constantly make him my only consideration. Haribo. <laughs> She's a good example of one of those who really catches the, yeah. the essence. Okay, so my discovery was from uh, chapter 8, verse 8. He who meditates on me is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. No, I'm sorry. That's not the causal ocean, there are innumerable Brahmas, rising and disappearing like bubbles in the Atlantic. Brahma and his creation are all part of the material universe, and therefore they are in constant flux. This um, understanding? Upon Maha, our Karnadakshai Vishnu's exhalation, unlimited universes spring from the pores of his transcendental body. Each of these gigantic universes are filled halfway with water. On these causal waters, Garbhadakshay Vishnu rests on the body of Anantashesh. Anantashesh in his expansion of Lord Balaram, who serves the Lord as a bed, his hoods as a transcendental umbrella. Lakshmi Devi is situated, massaging the legs and feet of the Lord. From the belly of Garbhadakshay Vishnu, a lotus stem arises. From the budding lotus flower at the top of the stem, Lord Brahma is born. Lord Brahma, after long penance and austerity, is empowered in creation of the universe. He engages in this task of creation for a hundred years, which is 311 trillion earth years. Each day of these 100 years, he creates. At night, there is a partial annihilation wherein he rests. 
At the end of the 100 years, Lord Brahma leaves his body. Although he lives longer than any other living entity in the material world, surviving, surviving, surviving through the deaths and rebirths of countless living entities, still it is described here that there are innumerable such Brahmas, and they are rising and disappearing like bubbles in the ocean. Because Lord Brahma is also a part of the material universe, his body is temporary and in flux, just like everything and everyone else within this cosmic manifestation. So, um, application. Shukadev Goswami says in Srimad Bhagavatam 2.1.12, Kim Pramatasya Bahubihi Parokshar Hayaner Iha Varamuhurtam Viditam Gatate Shayase Yataha. What is the value of prolonged life, which is wasted and experienced by years in this world? Better a moment of full consciousness, because that gives one a start in searching after his supreme interest. It is similar to King Kulasekar's prayer. Let me die immediately. I do not need a long life. Let me die immediately in full consciousness of you. When I chant your holy name and then my life will be a success, I will attain my supreme interest. So application is that no position, no prestige, no fame, no opulence, nothing in this material world can give any lasting benefit. Instead of bubbling up and popping in useless fashion, better I take some austerity, learn tolerance and humility in the service of Guru and Krishna. So we'll run through the questions. Explain some of the points Srila Prabhupada makes in 8.14 purport about bhakti yoga in relation to other types of yoga. 14 coming up again. <laughs> That's good. We want to focus on that one. <laughs> That's a good focus. I think we mentioned that earlier. Um, we talked about this, of course. Uh, so uh, it says right in the purport that this verse especially describes the final destination attained by the unalloyed devotees who serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead in Bhakti Yoga. Previous verses have mentioned four different kinds of devotees, the distressed, the inquisitive, those who seek material gain, and the speculative philosophers. Um, so different processes of liberation have also been described, Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, and Hatha Yoga, Principles of these yoga systems have have some bhakti added, but this uh, but this verse particularly mentions pure bhakti yoga without any mixture of yanya, uh, ganya, uh, karma, and hatha, as indicated by the word um, ananya sitaha. In pure bhakti yoga, the devotee de- uh, desires nothing but Krishna. Okay. It also goes on to say that uh, let's see. Therefore. I always will catch it, and I don't. Okay, well, anyway. Um, yeah. So I'll have somebody else take that up, because I can't find the start you of this. also mentioned in your discovery, how, I don't know if you just read now, that the other yogas come yeah. the difficulties and troubles. Mm-hmm. So say something like that about the yoga doesn't have the uh, troubles of the other yeah. yogas. Yeah, scary. Therefore, the Lord says that for anyone who is unflinching, devoted to him, he is easy to attain. So, in other words, that's kind of what I read in the other one, but that's basically explaining the uh, points about bhakti yoga in relation to other types of yoga. 
Is nice. that what the question was? was yeah, very nice. Yeah. Yeah, here's the exact phrasing. Such a devotee meets with none of the problems that plague the practitioners of other yogas. Um, so the other yogas, the yoga system is actually very intensive, very difficult, very austere. And bhakti yoga is blissful and easy if we were simple. So, <laughs> okay, the next question. <clears throat> oh, another another point in that one is bhakti yoga is the system that the Gita recommends above all others. Okay, so the next question is In some of the verses in this section Lord Krishna talks about the nature of the spiritual world i.e. his abode and the nature of the material world Which verses are these and what points are made? Dot 16, 17, 18, 19 talks about material world, and 8.20, 20, 21 talks about spiritual. Krishna explains here even Brahmaloka, the most con- wonderful planet, is uh, influenced by time. Time forces the annihilation of every material body. Death, the annihilation of our body, rips us away from our attachments, from all attachments we have developed over a lifetime. This happens again and again. Supreme abode is eternal and transcendental. In the material world, we are again and again helplessly annihilated. Spiritual life, however, carries us to the supreme destination which is never annihilated. Mm. Does anybody want to add to that? I was just going to say that the temporary material worlds are places of misery where repeated birth and death take place. And that's being discussed all throughout. I'll point out one particular purport in the 15th, uh, 15th verse where it's speaking about um, attaining all these, all these planets, all these higher planets, I believe. Um, but again, as you, as you, so, as you, as you stated, you know, this, the difference is a spiritual world, you know, there is, it's eternal, there is no time. And it is transcendental, full of bliss. I mean, it's, you know, it's our home, you know, and it's the complete opposite of this place, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's described, I just, I don't have all the verses specifically, um, but you can find it, it's all, it's all through. Um, didn't we have a lecture in one of the different classes where they were described, I think there was a part in the Bible time where it was a, They speak about time being necessary, yeah. and uh, it, it you know Krishna says time is not but it's necessary because if if it if time did, would didn't play in this existence, it would like we would be here forever, right? Isn't didn't someone say? Do you remember that? Yeah. Every single community born in this world has a certain amount of breaths, so it's it's very specific. <laughs> the beginning and the end is very specific. So we said, use all of our breaths and do it hurry now. 
And who are we going to do soon? <laughs> How many of us are going on Hari now? <laughs> yeah. You want to come with us? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa! The next one is kind of a technical question, just to top it off. So, verse eight seventeen and his purpur talk about the different ages, i.e., yugas, and Lord Brahma's life. So, what are the four ages in their duration? Can anybody say it without looking? Satya, Tejo, Dwarpa, Kali. Okay. And then it goes. One million eight hundred thousand four hundred and something years. So this is so this is you're saying Satya. Yeah, it goes down. It's like one million eight hundred thousand and some odd years. Oh, you're close. Very close. One million seven hundred twenty-eight. Oh, okay. Thousand years. And then it goes down the quarter. Yeah, it goes. Yeah. It adds four hundred. Yeah. It goes down four hundred and thirty-two thousand years. Yeah. Every every yuga. Every every. I totally knew that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and how many does Kali Yuga have without looking? I was just like, that's a big that's hole. A big hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How long? How, yeah, how long does Kali Yuga without looking? 432. 432. Okay. I, I know that. <laughs> 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 Alright. So, what is the duration of Lord Brahma's day? That's, oh my gosh. Oh, it's I all know. of us. I knew it. It's a billion something because it's two. It's the day. It's the ha- it's the day and the night. Yeah, day and the night. And it's the a day, day and the night. So it's eight billion it's something. Two hundred. What is it? Two two. Gosh, I can't remember. Just just say bajillion. Eight billion six hundred forty million. Six hundred and forty million. That's what it is. And then one, <laughs> one, and then twelve hours is Earth four years. billion three hundred twenty million. Yeah. Now so, uh, I was reading. You would see like his uh Brahma's day and night. So like. Combined or like all day, and then you gotta double it to include the night. When it says day and night, it's, it's combined. It's oh, okay, that's what I'm sure. It's combined. Yeah. So I was like, do I gotta time this by two now? This is all question, yeah. Whatever the case may be, our our time here in the material world, our day is yeah. like a blink of an eye. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I know, right? <laughs> like, compared to our years. Uh, yeah. So 4, 4 billion, 320 million years is 12 hours. And if you bring that down into one cycle of the four ages, that's four million three hundred twenty thousand. You oh. see, so four million three hundred twenty thousand. Then we do it times a thousand, then it becomes four billion three hundred twenty million. So I want to know like how many like seconds our life is in like one whole day. It's like oh we're like point two seconds. That's our lifespan. Yeah, compared to this. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's like really fast. Yeah, yeah. Like, the last time. Yeah. Well, what did we say? Very, how very many small. seconds? How many seconds we said? So day? One day for Brahma is, is is like one one year for us is like one moment for Brahma. Right. Yeah. Like so moment. if we live a hundred, so I think basically a hundred moments, and a moment is kind of less than a second, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's like less than a hundred seconds. It's a hundred years for us. So <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, insect the thing it has consciousness, then you think. How much you know, human years? Yeah, for him, we're like Lord Brahma. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But it said that every single living entity, it feels like a hundred years. Right, even for Lord Brahma. Yeah. So it doesn't feel any longer. Okay, so last question. What is the duration of Lord Brahma's life? Lord Brahma's life.
Kalau lagi. Sini One one kappa is one day, and one day is a thousand cycles of the four yugas. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's one day. But how much is his life? Yeah, his whole life. Hundred of those. Yeah, it's a hundred times of that. Well, it's 365 times that times a hundred. 365 times 8,640,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,